strikes me NVIDIA first, you know, lots of times first in doesn't win in tech. It's usually the second one in with the better product. But NVIDIA's got good products. There's, And we also forget the fact that clients, corporate clients, design in a certain company's chips. And once they've done that, it's very, very hard to get them to switch to a, another manufacturer. I mean, look how long Apple spent with a lousy chip before it finally went to a good one and then finally and then created its own. And we're seeing some other companies, not semiconductor companies, who are also uh, trying to create their own chips. Has NVIDIA already swept the table, or do you think that it can get a, any of these companies can be a real competitor? I mean, I, I love AMD. I love what they've done the last few years. I'm cynical about Intel, whether Intel can ever get back its old mojo. Uh, and I'm cheering NVIDIA. I mean, they stepped in at the right moment, and they they got rich in the process. What do you think happens next? I mean, I, I think it, it is a tough lead to beat because NVIDIA is so far ahead. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, July 14th installment of Happy Bastille Day of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman of NBC News. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Uh, our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove, and our host is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, so the whole point of taking last week off was we thought, well, Independence Day's on Tuesday. Silicon Valley doesn't work in the middle of the summer. Perfect time to take a week off. And, of course, Silicon Valley now works in the summer, and last week was a big news day. So we're going to catch up a little bit. So while we were off last week, the big news, I think, maybe you've got an alternative, uh, but Meta Microsoft announced the introduction of Threads, which is supposed to be its Twitter killer. Uh, amazingly, it got 30 million signups the first day. That's, you know, that's not a big number for Facebook, but it's still a pretty big number considering you know, the size of Twitter, let's say. You know, it's, it's a big number if you think about that was like day one. And by day five, it had 100 million signups, making it just about the biggest debut we've ever seen of anything in the tech world. And, you know, it's uh, a really, really impressive number, even given the fact that it has the backing of Instagram. And therefore, you know, when I open threads, you could instantly say, well, I just want to follow everyone that I already do on Instagram. And all of a sudden you had a little bit, not quite a, a Twitter-sized community or certainly a TikTok-sized community, but you had a community of people who were posting and that were watching your posts and things like that. So it was a really, really big debut, and it showed, A, the strength of what Meta does best, not the metaverse, <laughs> but social media. And it also showed that uh, Twitter is vulnerable. Yeah, no, is it, it struck me that well, two things. First of all, those kind of numbers. Remember when Microsoft started bundling, you know, things like Word and, you know, the search engines and all of that, and the SEC came roaring down on for antitrust. Is, does Facebook, if could it be that if Threads is too successful, 
you could uh, Meta could face the same thing of you know the government asking, do these guys have too much control of the uh, of the internet? You know, I I don't know, and the reason that I I would be a little doubtful is remember Facebook was extremely successful, and then the company bought Instagram, which was let's face it another social media network that was also extremely successful, and they were able to keep that and even add WhatsApp and now Threads. I don't know how big you would have to get before uh, the government would crack down on you, but you think of all of the things privacy-wise that the FTC and especially the European Union are looking askance at Facebook and Meta for. This is yet another one. It is another way that this company will be able to sell ads to a whole bunch of people and another way that they will be able to suck data from those same people. And so eventually, yeah, maybe, but the precedent has been allow social media companies to grow because social media tends to be uh, not as long-lasting as other media. Yeah, except they've all been around now for 15 years. So, yeah, there's a lot of companies in Silicon Valley that made hardware that make it didn't make it to their 15th anniversary. So that was what you brought up. My second thought, I thought of if you know if you don't like Elon Musk and you want an alternative, why run into the embrace of like, you know, Doctor Evil who will, who will take all of your will Hoover up all of your personal information and sell it will monetize your existence and invade your privacy. I mean, of all places to come up with a Twitter killer, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook, please. Right, and there is a lot loaded into that statement and that question, and it's a very good question. I think the answer is simply the numbers that Zuckerberg's Instagram already has. And as someone who tries these things out for a living, so yeah, I'm on Spill, and I'm on Blue Sky, and I'm on Threads. I've tried out even some of the right-wing social media sites to spend time there just to see how all of these things work and what's different. And really what's different about Threads is the immediacy of 100 million people. All of the other sites are gaining by the dozen. <laughs> this one is gaining by the tens of thousands in terms of users because it already has that big backing. So what Zuckerberg has done really well here is uh, siphon Instagram into threads. But you're right. You don't have to jump on here if you want an alternative to a giant social media company. There are much smaller places, but they have less action. Yeah. And you're not going to get a lot of famous people on those other ones. Not as yeah. You're right. Um. Okay, so you've tried it. Uh, there's been, it's looking at the fine print on threads, it looks like they're going to go full censorship on this thing. And which is kind of a, you know, it's, it's kind of a Facebook thing. It, it sounds like it's a Facebook version of Twitter. And is that, a, is that safe? Do you think it's fair? Do you think it's non competitive? I mean, I, I'm trying to get a feel for, since you're actually using it. A feel for what kind of presence it has and how invasive it is and how controlling it is. I mean, I think people throw around the word censorship uh, far too easily, Mike, to be honest. Um, and when you say Facebook uh, cuts down on some of the hate speech, they could certainly do a much better yeah. job. Um, they're gigantic compared to Twitter. And Twitter is now famous for letting hate speech on because Musk believes that that is free speech, which remember, 
according to our country, is not. Uh, but Musk allows it anyway. And that has been the main reason that a ton of advertising has gone away. If Twitter disappears, it's not going to be because of threads. It's going to be because of Twitter allowing the kind of speech that a lot of people don't want to see and that advertisers don't want to be a part of. The fact is, social media sites get bigger when they police themselves. That's just the bottom line, because people want to interact without feeling put upon or hated because of whatever it is that is going on in their life. And if Threads is able to do that, and we don't yet know because it's so new, um, I think it will grow even faster and even bigger than a site that says, hey, even hate speech is welcome because we believe in free speech. Okay, so the history of Silicon Valley is replete with lawsuits about the theft of intellectual property. Now, how long ago were the uh, did did Elon lay off most of uh, Twitter? Six months, eight months, somewhere in there. And yet now, Meta has produced a, a, a replica of Twitter in a record a short amount of time, and we know that. Zuckerberg went out and hired all those laid off or a lot of those laid off Twitter technical people. Is there a lawsuit waiting in the wings? Does Twitter sue Facebook for theft of intellectual property? Well, so there is a threatening letter that already happened. Uh, Musk wrote a letter uh, to Meta saying, hey, um, you know, this is this is copying. This is theft. Uh, will there be a lawsuit? I don't know. Part of the problem with uh, Musk actually following through on a lawsuit is that Musk has to go to court and answer questions about his own business practices. And part of the problem of saying, hey, you took our former employees, is that cross-examination might be, hey, don't you owe those former employees severance pay? Are you illegally denying them the money they deserve? Why wouldn't they go somewhere else? And that would be embarrassing, not to mention perhaps hurtful to a lawsuit. So at this point, the threats are already there. They're out on paper. They we had the, we had the cease and desist letter, but essentially discovery may keep Elon from pursuing it. Huh. Possibly. Uh, and, and again, I, I don't know that. Um, I, it seems to me in the social media world, there is room for much more than one success story. You know, Facebook got so gigantic. And really, as someone who is on social media for the purpose of news, I find Twitter to be better than Facebook. How does that make sense? The audience is much smaller on Twitter. But in Facebook, it's really difficult to find news stories and people who want to talk about news. And I get it. Facebook is a gigantic place to talk about everything else that goes on in your life. Same with Instagram. Twitter is really largely about news. And there's room for even more than, than one place to do that. So as one social media site becomes known for something, it makes sense to, to try something else. And I think there's room for competition. Frankly, it benefits the consumer. And uh, I look forward to us as consumers, as news generators, having more than one place to go to find what's out there. Yeah, it, it strikes me that Zuckerberg is, is borrowing from the uh, Bill Gates playbook of 20 years ago that... As long as he can keep network and keep bundling this stuff using his same multi-billion user base, he's almost unstoppable. You know, 
the only thing that, that stops them is time and you know and other factors but not business side i mean microsoft i remember going out to dinner with you know mark andreessen saying how do you stop internet how do you stop microsoft there's they're gargantuan and, and they're you know they're going to take over the world and this well, remember people in the valley saying that Right, but th there was a difference in that Bill Gates was giving away for free what Mark Andreessen and Jim Clark were selling as a way to right. the company. That's not exactly what's going on here. Twitter is, for now, free unless you pay the uh, the blue check fee. Um, but it's it's a difference of, of advertising and, you know, Musk has hurt Twitter's bottom line because of, of advertising's, advertisers fleeing. And Threads, I'm guessing, is going to be to try to try to be a, an, an, a kinder if this makes sense, a nicer version to, to bring in advertising. Yeah, okay. Now, you and I have had discussions in the past about how I feel that freeware is the bane of the modern world, uh, but we'll, we'll skip that from now. Now, there's also Musk versus Zuckerberg, and it seems to be, do these guys really truly hate each other, or is this a performance? I mean, it's still hard to separate the two. And now Musk makes a comment about comparing their private parts and, you know, just trash talk, trash talk, trash talk. They put out, both put out pictures of them, you know, working out or practicing wrestling moves and all that. So maybe it'll be an MMA fight in the cage, but, you know, the octagon. But something doesn't feel right yet. Like this is all a pose and then it ends up being a scam to, you know, watch our virtual fight, you know, on the web. I mean... I can't believe that companies will allow their CEO, insurance companies will allow the CEOs to go out and potentially, you know, give each other brain damage. So, I mean, what's going on here? I mean, do you have a sense how real this thing, you know, we've had a week and a half to think about it. What do you think? I mean, I, it feels performative, to be honest, for largely the reasons you just said. I mean, the, the insurance and, and the safety and all that stuff make it feel performative. Um, but you know, look, these people live different lives. They're not like you and I, <laughs> these celebrities are not like you and me. And so maybe they'll, they'll head to a, an octagon somewhere. Um, but I, I don't know. It does feel performative. Uh, I've said it before, a logical, um, sensical end to this is a big donation to charity without anybody being hurt. Uh, but I don't know. And as far as do they get along? No, they're competitors and, and that's fine in the business world. It's silly when they talk about what Elon Musk is talking about. That's just... Well, but there's competitor, and then there's a hate. And we have examples of hate around here at various times in our history. I'm trying to distinguish between the two, and I don't think we know until this thing reaches its climax whether this is personal or this is just business. I fear that if this becomes sets a precedent, we're going to have this kind of stuff public feuds between CEOs, you know, leading to throwing, you know, haymakers at each other. I mean, if that's the future of C-level executive management in, in, in Valley companies, uh, I'm not looking for, it might be fun to watch, but I would hate to be a shareholder or an employee in these companies. But look, there's a big difference in the two things you're saying. Uh, an outward public feud those are great. That's Michael Dell versus Steve Jobs. That's uh, AMD versus Intel. Those are fun, and they stir up 
you know, a little bit of pride in the company, and they never come to blows, of course. And there's a big difference between getting into a ring with somebody. Um, I don't mind the public, hey, it's us versus them and, and stuff like that. That's always interesting, like sports. Um, but uh, but sports is made up of really, really well-trained athletes who are paid to do that. And uh, these guys should not um, engage in hand-to-hand combat. Well, wait till next week. Let's see. All right. Um, okay, the Wall Street Journal, a very interesting article this week, how um, Intel, AMD, and a lot of other chip companies are doing their damnedest now to try to catch up with NVIDIA in AI chips. You know, a little too late. You know, you got if there's a sufficient demand, they can they could pick up a certain amount of market share. But it strikes me NVIDIA first, you know, lots of times first in doesn't win in tech. Usually the second one in with the better product. But NVIDIA's got good products. There's and we also forget the fact that Clients, corporate clients, design in a certain company's chips. And once they've done that, it's very, very hard to get them to switch to another manufacturer. I mean, look how long Apple spent with a lousy chip before it finally went to a good one and then finally created its own. And we're seeing some other companies, not semiconductor companies, who are also... uh, trying to create their own chips. Has NVIDIA already swept the table, or do you think that it can get a, any of these companies can be a real competitor? I mean, I, I love AMD. I love what they've done the last few years. I'm cynical about Intel, whether Intel could ever get back its old mojo. Uh, and I'm cheering NVIDIA. I mean, they stepped in at the right moment, and they, they got rich in the process. What do you think happens next? I mean... I think it is a tough lead to beat because NVIDIA is so far ahead. Product-wise, reputation-wise, look at the market value of NVIDIA versus the entire rest of the chip industry. I mean, NVIDIA is a trillion-dollar company now, and they've done it by being way, way ahead. The only way that anyone can catch them is just the fact that this whole AI thing is, um, it's not brand new, but it has a long way to go. I would say. And so there is time for competition. But gosh, NVIDIA is so far ahead that it's involved in geopolitical negotiations, right? Like when China, you know, is being denied AI chips, the one stock affected is NVIDIA. The other guys aren't even in the conversation. And they hauled out a guy, a a, a C-level manager to make the case. Oh, we've got to start selling to China. Right. uh, I mean, that's you're guaranteed to get at least some bad publicity doing on that but they're willing to do it well and yeah bad publicity i mean it's a gangster move but my goodness their stock price even since then is is sort of new highs i mean nvidia is just destroying everybody when it comes to this the only thing that can change is you know companies sometimes slip up or in a whole long time that ai is going to be developed and and sold and all that stuff uh, other companies will will pop up including startups that we don't even know yet um right you know they will they will challenge uh nvidia's mantle but they are really quite a bit yeah i mean the question is if does the ai chip market gets so big and so extended from high end to mid-range even to low end that nvidia just can't cover it all but does or does it want to cover it all or can't meet demand and that would leave you know gaps in there that some of these other companies could fill in 
but they would they would in a sense wouldn't be the flagship company. I mean, Intel was the flagship company of semiconductors for forty five years. Can Intel can Nvidia do that with AI chips? I'm and if do they take the high end, do they take the middle where the big money is, or they take the low end and compete directly with China? Which because China is only capable of doing basically the low end chips. I mean, there's some strategic questions Nvidia's got to be facing right now. Right, and there are categories in this niche that haven't even been created yet, and therefore companies, I believe, that haven't been created to fill those needs. And so we have a long way to go. One company has never, I don't think, dominated an industry start to finish. I mean, remember, Cisco was dominant, but then Juniper caught up, and you know, Intel was dominant. Obviously, other other chip companies have, have caught up. Uh, same with hardware, and it, it just the excitement in this sort of field is there are startups already being invented. Some, by the way, are being funded by NVIDIA. And that's always a good move for the big kahuna to say, all right, I'm going to be a little bit humble and admit that there are more nimble players here and we're going to get rich of them too. So NVIDIA is even doing that. Well, and you and you treat them like they're AAA. Yeah, exactly. Good job, boys. Keep going. Keep being innovative. And uh, one of these days, you'll write you a really big check. Yeah. Not a bad. Yeah. Carol Bartz explained that to me, saying that there's the major leagues and the minor leagues, and everybody can make money if they all <laughs> just sort of understand their roles. Right. Okay. Uh, next. Um, I hate to get back to Twitter, but the other thing that happened last week was Twitter put limits on the number of. Uh, Tweets you could read a day for unverified accounts is a thousand tweets that you're allowed to read a day. Verified accounts ten thousand, and uh, five hundred for users with new unverified accounts. And he's trying to fight this sort of scraping, this data scraping that's going on by outside parties. It's it sort of set a shockwave through. I mean, I'm astounded that anybody's concerned they can't read more than five hundred tweets a day. I mean, now I know why all those people wanted to work at home. I mean, I don't read I don't read five hundred items any everywhere on the web in the course of a day. Uh, is is it really the problem that's being presented as? Is this yes. a way for Zuckerberg to take advantage of it? Yes, and yes, gigantically. So this is instrumental to the Threads success story, and yes. It is a small number of tweets. It's much smaller than you'd think. This goes back a couple of Saturdays, Mike, to when the limits first hit, and it was 600 for someone like me who does not pay for a blue check. And I remember when I first saw that, and I'm thinking, 600 doesn't seem like a big limit. Let me scroll through to see what some fellow journalists are seeing. And bam, I was rate limited. I was off of Twitter. And that all happened within like a five-minute time period. And I thought, this can't last because this is an ad-supported medium. And as I've explained on our air to our anchors, it is as if halfway through our newscast, we said, okay, everybody, you've seen enough news, no more for you. The advertiser would revolt and we wouldn't make any money. Musk is killing Twitter if he keeps this up. You may have noticed, by the way, you haven't heard about rate limits since then. Why is this integral to the thread story? Because I'm certain over that July 4th weekend, Mark Zuckerberg became aware of what Musk was doing, suicidal behavior over at Twitter, and said, we're going to rush this thing, everybody in. And then remember, it was going to be rushed till Thursday. It actually came out on a Wednesday, even a day earlier than the Meta countdown said. 
And I'm convinced that Threads is a huge success because Twitter blew it and everyone was looking for something else. I was going to ask you about timing. And I forgot to do it. Yeah, it, it, I noticed he did come out with that with Threads a day early and the timing was perfect. He got Elon at his weakest and and Twitter users at their angriest. Now, is this a was was his move justifiable in any way? Is there really that much of a pro problem? Um, it, it's hard to tell. You know, Twitter being a private company now, we don't really know things like usage numbers quite as much and, and all that stuff. So it's hard to tell. Now, is data being scraped? Yeah, I mean, boy, data is being scraped everywhere we go. Um, but it, it was an odd move to literally limit what action can happen on Twitter when that action is 100% of Twitter's market. So it, it was just a surprise to see that happen, data or not. And the Senate out there are saying this is yet another way Musk is trying to get people to pay the $8 for the blue check mark. Because remember, the numbers were higher, quite a bit higher. Yeah. But the amount of tweets you could see if you were paying. Quite a bit. I mean, it's like 10 to 1. Okay, so do you sense this is just a temporary thing? It was. It went away pretty darn quickly. So whatever Musk was trying to do. So it's completely gone now. I haven't seen a rate limit in a long time, and I've tried to be rate limited since then. I've tried. Okay, like, so I wasn't able to. So they're quietly letting it disappear. Perhaps so. Ten never happened. Okay, I just want to mention, we're going to run out of time, but two other things. First of all, there's a company, a, a California nuclear fission startup. Apparently, there's a number of these where, you know, the idea of creating small reactors and all that. It's called Oklo, and it's currently valued at $850 million, and it plans to go public. But it plans to go public a way that you and I haven't talked about in a couple of years. They're going to go out to a company called Alt-C Acquisitions, which is a SPAC company. Okay, I mean, we haven't seen SPACs. I mean... They didn't really do very well. I mean, it was an interesting kind of, you know, raise money. But there were blank check venture firms. And um, I was reading that there's been a dozen SPAC-funded IPO companies that went bankrupt, taking all the money away. I mean, they, they, it started, started looking like a con game or a shell game. On the other hand, I guess T.J. Rogers managed to use his SPAC pretty successfully. So... Do you see this this instrument, financial instrument, coming back, or is it thoroughly discredited? And this is kind of a questionable move. Yeah, you know, I think discredit is the right way to describe this because SPACs didn't work. Does that mean all the companies didn't work? We don't really know. But one thing, and you even said it, there's a sneer on your face when you said SPAC, no matter what the company is. So I think part of the problem here, and this may be a terrible idea to go public through SPAC. Maybe it just wasn't meant to work. But one thing that we noticed towards the end of the SPACs was that companies that were going to do it were tarred with this, oh, I guess you can't IPO the regular way sort of reputation. And, oh, I guess you're going to go out there and lose. A backdoor IPO. That was yeah. what it seemed like. So the expectation was for failure, and that's a bad way to go out. And so can that turn around? Maybe. I don't know. But there was an expectation that a SPAC wouldn't work as well as an IPO, and that hurt the whole thing. Okay, and finally, oh, I thought we were done with her forever, but Elizabeth Holmes. 
Okay, so she just got two years taken off of her 11-year, seven-month sentence down there in Texas at the prison. Uh, apparently, I didn't realize this, but when you when you check in to a prison in the first couple months, you're given the opportunity to take courses and to dedicate yourself to service and a bunch of other things. I guess Sonny Balwani did the same thing. They both got two years taken off their sentence. And I thought, well, this is, you know, when I originally read it, I thought, okay, that's just, you know, the effect of publicity. But apparently it's a it's a pathway. Uh, and we sort of predicted they would cut her sentence down a little bit. What do you think? Well, right. So first, to get that out of the way, this wasn't a privileged thing. It's apparently, lawyers tell me, uh, you get 54 days off a sentence per year with good behavior. And this is sort of a predictive thing. And so... It's nine years now instead of 11. But if she gets into a fight or smuggles drugs or something that would be bad behavior, they claw that back and you have to stay the whole sentence. Um, so the the two years off the sentence, you're right, is something going in that you get assuming good behavior. Balwani's happened a few weeks earlier, but no one really noticed because he's not as famous as Elizabeth Dalton. Watching it. Right. It was a big story when it happened to her. and um, But that needs to be explained that this is something that at least in the white-collar criminal world, is very common. So can she continue uh, exhibiting good behavior and continue to re reduce her sentence? Lawyers also tell me, no, that this is the reduction that would be there if she continues to show good behavior, but the minimum of her sentence that she'd have to serve is right about nine years. Okay. Who knows if that changes? She's still fighting all these charges, uh, yeah. but she's doing so from prison at this point. Okay, well, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and, of course, YouTube. Have a great weekend, uh, and stay cool. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.